welcome back. I'm Jessica Clemens here on the Ringerverse, and I'll be showing up with theories, Easter egg breakdowns, and explainers on all your favorite content. Today, I'll be delivering a shorter yet still appetizing Easter egg breakdown. I'll be going scene by scene in order of appearance, pulling things you might have missed. The third episode of Secret Invasion references Black Widow, Iron Man, World War I, and maybe the Incredible Hulk. Additionally, here's your one and only spoiler warning. I'm spoiling episode three, like all of it, and giving you insights from the trailer you might have forgotten about. So let's just get into it. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity, the unplanned, the unexpected, an inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue, a surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland, watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. We open the episode to Gravik's right-hand man, Pagan, Beto, the newest recruit, and Xerxu. They're getting ready for what we can assume is their next big mission. This is our first time meeting Xerxu, and he's another scroll from Marvel Comics, first appearing in Marvel Premiere issue number 35. He's a member of the Scroll Army. We get this shot of Gravik entering the lab, which we've seen from the trailer. He's invited the Scroll Council to gawk at the machine the scientists built. He reveals more of his plan, explaining how he sent three of his own spies, Beto, Xerxu, and Pagan, to take down a special UN target. Throughout the episode, they don't say who the special target is, but it's likely President Ritson. We get a man selling newspapers at the end of the episode, and it's hard to see, but the newspaper is The National. The cover of the newspaper says, President Ritson in London for emergency talks. The photo above the headline is Rhodey facing the president, and reminder that the last time we saw Rhodey was in London in Berners Tavern. So I'm just assuming he wasn't on the plane with Ritson when it was supposed to be shot down. Gravik then says this. Play the clip. The heroes of Earth will react. The only way we can counter that and claim this planet as our home is to become super ourselves. His dialogue overlaps and coincides with the visuals we're getting of the scroll scientist at work. While they're testing more DNA, we see a news clipping for scientists makes a new DNA discovery and a whiteboard with scattered writing that says reamputation strategy, reamputation, early phase depletion, then some sparse writing for DNA targeting. This is probably in regards to testing extremists. It was revealed that they started testing the horrible drug on amputees and other disabled military people in Iron Man 3. Gravik tells the council they will all be uniquely, uniquely programmed, programmed weapons of mass destruction. All of them, Super Scrolls. We talked about this briefly in my last breakdown I did for episode two about how we're building Super Scrolls and sort of mimicking the powers of the Fantastic Four because that's what they did in the comics. So now it's concrete. They're making Super Scrolls, his words and mine. We jump to New York City in 1998 at 93rd Diner and look at that green lighting. A scroll must be inside. And there is. Fury's meeting with Vara, a.k.a. Priscilla, and boys, we got her. This scroll is Fury's wife, Priscilla, like we thought. She slides Fury a brown envelope from her book, Raymond Carver's A New Path to the Waterfall. We don't know what's in the envelope, but we know it's to mess up Dracov's men. Dracov is the leader of the Black Widows, owner of the Red Room, and monster to all young women. Black Widow begins in Ohio 1995 and well into Natasha's childhood years. So around this time, Dracov had other female children all over doing his bidding. It makes sense it was on Fury's radar, but it's shitty knowing that they couldn't really stop it sooner. We jump to present day in Fury's home. Stearns is on the TV talking wild. Priscilla turns it off disgusted and we dive into the same speech everyone's giving Fury this season about his disappearance after the blip. Play the clip. I became a widow in your absence. I wept on your pillow every night. I grieved for you. And just when I thought I had gotten past the heartbreak, you came back in the blip. 
And silly me, I thought we were going to undo all the pain together. Go back to the way we were, but no. You just up and vanished again. Only this time it was voluntary. It's nice to see that his disappearance impacted everyone and they reacted kind of differently. Sonia didn't really care, but like Maria Hill, she mentioned it made him sloppy and careless in the field. Talos lost a little faith and Priscilla mourned her husband. Then he returned just to leave again, but this time voluntarily. That's just sad. And the emotional roller coaster she went through definitely stayed with a vengeance. After Gravik interrogates Gaia, believing she's the mole, they immediately exit a private plane, which I assume is purchased by the government using the Council of Scrolls resources. This episode is brought to you by Brooks. Calling all running nerds, Brooks has just dropped the Go 16, a sweet name for an even sweeter shoe. If you're looking for comfort for that morning jog or when you're hopping on that treadmill, look no further than the Go 16, which has a nitrogen-infused cushioning. That means it's nice, soft, and lightweight. So you got the comfort, but you don't sacrifice the speed. Turn those everyday miles into everyday endorphins and the better-than-ever Brooks Go 16. Click or tap the banner to learn more. After watching this episode, it all felt way too easy catching Gaia, right? Gravik mentions in the car over the phone, the UN plane will be at Neptune's coordinates 2200 hours. And immediately, Gaia types it into her burner phone. Only three people would know this. Gaia, Gravik, and presumably Pagan, who's busy working on the infiltration. We're taken to the National Portrait Gallery, not to be confused with the National Art Gallery, where Stephen Grant, aka Moon Knight, works, which is also in London. Gravik and Talos meet in front of the Statesman of World War I painting by James Guthrie, commissioned and in memory of Britain's politicians and allies. The fat, smug smile one Gravik points at is Winston Churchill. I love when describing the painting, Gravik gestures to himself as a soldier because this entire scene is a metaphor. We learn that the gallery that featured a lot of men in power is part of the Faces of Freedom exhibit. What better example of freedom than showing the faces of men in power? The Statesman of World War I features men that already have power and monetary freedom. They choose who we fight and who we ally ourselves with. But the soldiers and civilians on the ground aren't featured in this exhibit at all. Like the soldiers to the statesmen, Gravik's values lie in the cause rather than the recognition. He's basically calling Talos a punk-ass bitch. Surprise, motherfucker. They talk in the coffee shop of the museum, and that's where we see everyone in the background shape-shifting to look like Gravik. And it was a setup, and I called it in the last episode. So we can expect this meetup to be a setup. After threatening him, Talos grabs the butter knife off the table and stabs Gravik in the hand. We love messing up people's hands in the show, and I hate it. But we also get to see Gravik's extremist power at work, regenerating and healing. Talos then bumps into an old man upon exiting the museum. The old man picks up the phone, hands it to Talos, and apologizes. The man jogs away, and there stands Gaia. But a little further down the street, the same old man is on his phone. So we witness Gaia impersonate this man and delivered her dad a phone. A little later, after persuading Talos to help him again, Fury jumps on a call with Sonya, who is currently debugging her owl that Fury used to get intel. The owl is named Nicholas Fury with a little eye patch, and it's very cute. When Secret Invasion finished wrapping, all the cast and crew received these hats with a green owl clock wearing an eye patch. Some folks believe this could be the logo for the new organization led by Fury at the end of the season, and I really hope so. I think the man from episode one talking with Sonya is the internal leak messing her up. I searched for the credits and couldn't find his name, but I did find out that Grace Boyle was the White House aide in episode one and an acting double in this episode. Most background actors in the series that shapeshift are credited as acting double, so we've definitely got scrolls in the White House. 
Sonia gives Fury the name of Commodore Robert Fairbanks, the man in charge of the launch. He's currently at Naval Command HQ in Portsmouth. Still in the car, but a little bit later, Fury and Talos debate who cleans up whose shit the most, which is funny because we've only seen Talos helping Fury every single time. Talos mentions that in 1995, Fury was a benchwarming nobody in a dumpy field office in S.H.I.E.L.D. until he and 19 of his people signed on as Fury's Invisible Spy Network. We see the dumpy little office in Captain Marvel and the group of spies in Episode 2. He goes on to say... Every time Fury was promoted inside of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Skrulls did that. By Iron Man 1, he was Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. So between 95 and the mid-2000s, Fury may have taken credit for a lot of the Skrulls' work. Even the information on Dracov's men came from Vara, not Fury. In Incredible Hulk, messages were sent to Nick Fury about Bruce's disappearance. Someone sent a letter to S.H.I.E.L.D. having lost sight of Bruce for over five months. He was last seen in 2006. The person writing the letter could have been a scroll on surveillance for Nick Fury. Talos adds, every, every terror, terror attack, attack you, prevented, you prevented, the scrolls did that. We Arguably, did that. we most likely haven't heard of these attacks because they never happen. But in Captain America Winter Soldier, Fury shows off Project Insight, the advanced helicarriers. These new long-range precision guns can eliminate a thousand hostiles a minute. The satellites can read a terrorist's DNA before he steps outside his spider hole. We're gonna neutralize a lot of threats before they even happen. Scrolls who are technologically advanced could have assisted in building these. Tells goes on to say every enemy you sabotage the scrolls did that. Like Ash Ketchum, Fury never really successfully did anything. What did he say? But we know he has agents in the field, and by Iron Man 2's global awareness map, he probably has a scroll agent surveying each landmark, intercepting huge threats. Every single thing the scrolls did was in the shadows, so it nearly is impossible to find the proof in daylight. So all of these are just working theories, but great theories nonetheless. Fury caught Fairbanks impersonating Talos on their shared comms when he called Fury by his first name. Fury says, no one calls me Nick, Bob. But Rhodey called Fury Nick during their one-on-one. Play the clip. The point of this power is to be uncompromising. To be unsparing, to be able to sit across from a man we greatly admire, with whom we share an entire professional, personal, ancestral history with, and to tell him without any reservation that he's fired. That's what this moment right here, right now is about, Nick. So I'm wondering if he knew Rhodey was a scroll by the end of the conversation, because he he must have, right? Once Fury starts getting frustrated with Scroll Fairbanks, he shoots a warning shot into his leg. Then he threatens to shoot him in the crotch, and boy, Pulp Fiction Samuel Jackson is here. When they've had enough, Talos ends up killing Fairbanks and requesting the password to stop the launch from Gaia. Kriega, overwatching new scrollers from a security camera, gets an alert about a comm breach unauthorized phone. So we just learned using a phone on the compound alerts security. To my surprise, Gaia must have changed her stance on Gravik within the last three episodes or has always been undercover. I think the unnecessary killings made her swap sides. Regardless, Gaia storms past the human Chris Stearns, the UK prime minister, the real Fairbanks, and we see the female scientist that's been recreating the DNA. Gaia begins searching his memories and we see his life with his son. She pieces together the password must be his son's name, Zachary. Though the plan is successfully aborted, Gravik's true plan was to find the infiltrator. He kills Gaia, but I don't think that's actually her. We've got a ton of pieces from the trailer we haven't seen yet, like the part where she finds the people glowing blue, the scene where she's coddling someone's body, who I assume is her father Talos, in her conversation at the table with Nick Fury. 
For a big surprise, Priscilla suspiciously gets a text and grabs her keys. Then she's at a train station and a mustache man watches her and it's WandaVision all over again. That was my grandmother's piano. And now Vara's got a gun. This could be the gun she used after becoming a spy for Fury. Her returning to the gun box is kind of symbolic to her telling Fury that she's back to the woman she was before him. It's safe to assume that Vara probably feels directly responsible for Gravik. She was there to guide him alongside Fury. To make matters worse, Vara gets a call from someone and it sounds just like Rhodey. St. James Church, one hour. I, I need to speak to Gravik. Yeah, well, you're talking to me. Another scroll in the White House. Ugh. And that's it for my Easter egg video on episode three of Secret Invasion. We broke down how many times Fury actually didn't help the MCU, the scroll connection to the Incredible Hulk, and the danger in comparing your work to your art. Subscribe to The Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Ringerverse and on YouTube at youtube.com slash The Ringer. Thanks for watching. Now go clean up after your dog. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.